Well, good morning to you. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and grab it. Make your way to 1 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, we as a church have a lot to praise God for, a lot to be thankful for. Uh, we get to see that baptism this morning. And thank you to, again to all who served at CityServe yesterday to impact the 1,500 plus lives in our community and in our city. And uh, a special thanks to those parents who brought their kids because we want to do a faithful job teaching the next generation uh, through things like City Serve to consider others as more important than ourselves. And it's just a glimpse of what Christ did for us, right? Where he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So thank you for everybody that served at City Serve. Um, and with baptisms, we get to see one this hour. We're going to get another one next hour. And uh, we're excited to be able to say we're trying to work this out, but in the Cabarrus Development Center, we have five guys right now that have made professions of faith, and we're trying to figure out how we can get in there. Yeah, let's praise God for that for sure. And just be able to maybe video their baptism and show it to you guys here on a Sunday morning. But to hear of seven people uh, going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to moving from hopelessness to a deep hope in the Lord. It's just a sweet time that we want to thank God for his faithfulness to still seek out those who are lost and, uh, and to save them. So we're grateful for that this morning. And we've been going through the series Prophets, Priests, and Kings through basically the book of 1 Samuel. And now we've made our way up to chapter 22. I'm just going to read two verses for you. And then we're going to spend some time in other parts of the scriptures this morning. This is what it says in 1 Samuel Chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became the commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. This is the word of God. Pray with me this morning. God, we thank you for your great mercy. Though our sins are great, your mercy is more. And we thank you through song this morning. Now we thank you through prayer. And I ask that you would be merciful to us now as we hear your word. Guide our hearts through this passage and several others to take refuge in you. And under the shadow of your wings, Lord, would you provide for us protection and give to us hope. For you are the Lord God most high. And you're worthy of all praise and worthy of all glory. It's the Lord, help us right now to give you glory with our thoughts as we focus in on your word. And God, by your grace and your mercy, help us with our lives this week to live and work for your glory. God, help us to understand your word today so that we can live it out for your name and your fame. Now, let me invite you, if you would, to pray that God would do something like that in your heart and life, that God would help you understand it so you can receive it and apply it to your life. Pray and ask him to do that in the silence now. Lord Jesus, we pray and we ask you to speak because apart from you, we'll never understand and apart from you, we'll never apply. And so God, would you speak through me, speak through weakness now to the glory of your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been coming here uh, for the last several weeks, you've kind of seen 
things with David trending, King David trending in an upward tick over and over again. And so when I read these first two verses to you in 1 Samuel 22, it might be a little bit of a head scratcher. Because you're like, wait a second, last week, like, we saw David defeat Goliath. And then a couple weeks before that, we see him get anointed as the next king. A lot of great things have been happening in David's life over the last couple weeks as we've been preaching through 1 Samuel. And in chapters 18 up to 22, I want to kind of condense that for you real quick and help us get the context of how David ended up here. How did David, the future king, end up in a cave? And what do we do when we find ourselves in the same place? See, here in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, you find that David finds a best friend. He doesn't just get anointed as the next king. He doesn't just defeat Goliath and, and get to celebrate all that. He finds a really great friend by the name of David. And we find in chapter 18, and it says that they became such good friends that their souls were knitted together and they cared for one another like their own soul. I mean, he's got a great friend. And Jonathan, his friend, actually honors David by giving him his robe and by giving his weapons to David, saying, David, I know you're the next king. You're deserving of it. So here, take this robe, even though I'm, you know, the Saul, the King Saul's son, you should be the next king. He's got a best friend. And David also gets a, a big promotion. David moves from a leading sheep to a military captain. Chapter 18 tells us that. And he has so much success, he becomes famous, not just in his nation, but in all the nations around People hear that David is coming to fight this battle, and, and other nations are like, nope, we, we surrender. Like, we give up. We're heading out because David is here. Like, he's become famous. And then he's even having people sing songs about David. We find that in verse eight, or chapter 18 as well. They start singing, he's, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. I mean, think about this. Having songs written about you? Not just writing songs. David had a great harp career that was taking off at this point in his life. But it's not him writing these songs. Other people are looking up to him. And they're loving him. And they're singing songs about him. David is loved by the people. He's loved by his best friend. But in chapter 18, you also find that he falls in love and is loved by who would be his future wife, Michal. She's a daughter of King Saul. And so as he marries her, he has the right to the throne, the very thing that God had promised him. So he, he finds himself in a great leadership role. He finds himself as royalty. He is one step away from the throne. Now, in the middle of all of this, there's a problem. There's a problem. You see, as the people are out singing their songs about David, King Saul hears them singing the songs, and it breeds in his heart anger towards David and jealousy towards David. And he's the one in charge, and as he gets jealous and he hears them saying, David has slayed his tens of thousands, Saul's like, great, if he slayed his tens of thousands, then I'll slay David. What you find is that Saul picks up a spear and tries to throw it and kill David. And it's not the, the last time that that would happen. Multiple times, Saul tries to kill David. 
And when he can't do it himself, he makes it state policy. He puts a law in place for people to hunt down and to kill David. So David has to run. He has to flee the city. He's fleeing for his life. And this is where we find him in chapter 22. David, the one who is at his height of popularity and love and success, now the bottom falls out and he finds himself hiding in a cave. And I want you to try to imagine what David is feeling at this time. It also tells us in chapter 19 and 20 that as David is running for his life, he runs home and he tells his wife, Michal, hey, guess what? Your, your dad is actually trying to kill me. And she's like, I know, I've already heard. I've already heard he's trying to kill you, so you've got to get out of here. So she helps him pack and she puts together this plan to give him a little time to, to get out of the city. But as the troops come in to arrest David... She lies. And she says, hey, this guy, David, he tried to kill me and said if I didn't help him escape, that he would take my life. Imagine this. In one day, David loses his career. He loses his house. And he loses his wife. And so what David does before he ends up in the cave is he he runs to see his mentor, Samuel. And he's trying to figure out, what do I do, Samuel? Like, you were there. You were the one that anointed me. You were the one that you heard the voice of God say that this is the one who will be the next king. I was one step away, and I've lost it all, Samuel. What do I do? And for safety of Samuel and the safety of David, he has to flee from that interaction. And David will never again see Samuel. He loses a mentor. And then he goes to Jonathan, his best friend, and he tells him what's happening. And, and his, his best friend, Jonathan's like, that's my dad. My dad's not trying to kill you. No, like, that's not, that's not what's happening. You stay here, David. I'll go find out and see if that's really what's going on. So David goes and snoops around, or, or Jonathan rather, goes around and snoops and comes back to David. And he says, David, you're 100% right. My dad is looking to kill you. He, he is going to kill you. You've got to get out of here. And we find, according to the scripture, that they wept together. And David cried as he said goodbye to his friend Jonathan. And scripture says that he would see Jonathan one more time, and then Jonathan would die in battle. He loses his friend. He loses his mentor. He loses his wife. He loses his career. He loses his, his house. But even worse than that, at the lowest of lows, he can't find any friends. There's nobody there to, to, to help him. And so what he does is he has to go and he flees to the Philistines. Now, if you know your Bible or if you were just here last week, remember who Goliath was? That dude was a Philistine. And literally David goes and fights him and, and kills him and taunts the Philistines. And now he's going to them for help. And somebody recognizes David and says, whoa, 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 wait a second. Aren't you the dude who killed Goliath? Aren't you the one who killed our champion? Isn't that you? And it tells us in the scripture that David starts to pretend like he's insane. And he starts drooling down his beard. And he starts marking on the wall. And, he's like, uh, and he starts acting like he's crazy. He's lost his self-dignity. And so the king of the Philistines sees this man and they're like, I don't know if this is David or not, but I've got enough crazy in this city. Get this guy out of here. 
David has lost everything. Everything. And don't, don't miss this. David has done nothing wrong. He is in this cave, no fault of his own. He's pursuing God. He's trying to honor the kingdom. And he loses his job, his home, his wife, his friend, his mentor, his safety, and his self-dignity. He loses all of it. So what do you do when you go from the castle to a cave? From the heights to the depths. From joys to sorrows. From being celebrated to being persecuted. What happens when being faithful to the Lord doesn't give you all that you wanted in this life? What happens when you trust God and you lose your job? What do, you do, what do you do when you believe in Christ and it costs you your friends? And so you're at home alone on a Friday night. Nobody's calling you to hang out. And you're trying to read and understand the Bible. And you're like, this doesn't make sense to me. What do you do during those times? Well, I mentioned it last week. That when we read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and the Kings, this is the history. This is the external of what's going on. But we find in the Psalms what's going on in the heart. It's a window to the heart. And David, as he sits in a cave, prays the Lord. He gets out and he writes in the journal. And in this journal we find two Psalms. Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. So we know what's going on in the heart of David. So I'd encourage you maybe throughout this week to read Psalm 142. But today we're going to spend the rest of our time in Psalm 57. So go ahead and make your way to Psalm 57. It's a beautiful psalm to show us the heart of David and answer that question, what do we do when we find ourselves in the lowest of lows? When we were at the pinnacle and at the top and the bottom has dropped out. And you'll see here at the very beginning of Psalm 57, there's this little subscript that's at the top there. In the original Hebrew Bible, that was a part of the text. And so this isn't something we added in later. This is something that was a part of the Hebrew text. And it tells us, before we get into verse 1, it tells us to the choir master, according to the do not destroy, a victim of David, when he fled from Saul and was in the cave. And this is what David does. This is what we should be pursuing and doing as we're in the cave. And David cries out in this lament, and he says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to the Most High God, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and he will save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of men whose teeth are like spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God. Be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They have set a trap for my steps. 
My soul has bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. So awake, awake, my glory. Awake, O oh harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O oh Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is what David is thinking about while he sits there in the cave. This is what David is writing and pinning in this heavy moment of distress. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in those pits of darkness like this? We need to gain perspective. We need to gain perspective that in the midst of hardship, there is always hope. There's always hope. You see, in that first passage that I read in 1 Samuel 22, it's interesting that that cave, the name of it, Adullam, literally means refuge. David is in this cave with the title refuge, but he says, this isn't my refuge. Being in this cave and thinking that I'm hidden and away from Saul who's hunting me down, that's not where my hope rests. That's not where my security rests. In Psalm 57, he's going to say, you know where my refuge really is? Not this cave, but it's in the Lord. And in verse 1, that's what he says. You're a merciful God, be merciful to me. For my soul takes refuge in you, in you, until the storms of destruction pass by. David looks around in this moment of losing everything, and he's like, the one thing I haven't lost is the Lord. He is my hope. He is my refuge. And this is a harsh, painful, hard moment. And David looks to the Lord and praises him in the midst. This is where his hope rests. And I believe as David's pinning these words, he's thinking back to his great-grandmother, Ruth. If you remember, like we talked about, I guess, last summer, when we went through the book of Ruth. Ruth had lost everything. Do you all remember the story of Ruth? I mean, she had lost her husband. They had lost food. They were basically homeless. They had lost everything. And there in chapter 2 of, of Ruth... There's a glimmer of hope that happens. And Boaz, this, this man who ultimately marries Ruth, looks at Ruth and speaks to her at the turning point in Ruth chapter 2. And this is what he says. You'll see the, the verse on the screen in, Luke, or in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose Wings, you come to take refuge. David thinks back at his great-grandmother and all the loss that she had, and he's like, that's where I am. And the same God that protected and provided for her in that hard, difficult moment is the same God that is here now that I run to refuge for, that I look to take refuge under the shadow of his wings. See, David is thinking back at God's faithfulness in the past. But he, he's even going to take it a step further back. In, the, in verse 2 of Psalm 57, 
He says, I cry out to God most high. Now, this isn't a normal title that we find for God in the Old Testament. It's actually extremely rare. But David is quoting it, and I think it's because of what is on his mind. He knows the word of God. He knows the truth of God. And this title for God, God Most High, is used in Genesis 14. And those of you that might know the Bible well, Genesis 14 is an interesting time where Abraham, God's chosen person, is there. And he's seeing all of these kings rise up around him. And they're threatening him. And there's wars and there's battles. And there's all this craziness going on. And if you read Genesis 14, it mentions all these kings. This king and that king and this king from this nation and this king from that nation. And then it goes to Abraham and there's no title for Abraham. He's just a man. But he's a man who believes in God most high. And so after all these battles are fought and Abraham is won through the power of the Lord, he says this in Genesis 14, 22. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. He's proclaiming who God is. And David here in the wilderness is thinking about this. There's a king that's hunting my life, just like the kings that hunted the lives of Abraham. But God most high guarded and protected Abraham. God most high was in control of a situation that seemed out of control. And David starts to realize, maybe, maybe it's not King Saul who's running my life. Maybe there's somebody else who does. His hope and his hardship rests in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. And, and notice, David is resting in the Lord in in, in loss of every area in his life. I mean, these are areas in our lives that, that will sense loss in. These are, these are kind of everyday life losses that we have. David just has them all compiled at the exact same time. And the reason why that matters to you and to me is because I feel like we as Christians have accidentally made God's hope really narrow. The hope that God wants to give us, we're like, you know what? God's hope is there when you need forgiveness of your sin. So if you're guilty of sin like we all are, and we need forgiveness of that sin like we all do, then you can look to God and have hope because of what Jesus Christ has done. Praise God for that. Praise God. And we're like, see, there's hope there. And then we say, well, you know what? There's also hope when we die. The book of Revelation says that, that God will wipe away every tear from every eye. So we're like, when we get to heaven, all our tears are going to be wiped away. But for now, man, get you a box of Kleenex because you're going to be wiping away tears for your entire life. But there's hope when you die. There's hope when you die. And I feel like we've made our hope so narrow that there's only hope when we have salvation and there's only hope when we go to the grave. And I think God desires for our hope to be much, much broader than that and much, much deeper than that. God cares about our everyday life losses. He even tells us, cast all of your cares upon me, for I care for you. And that's exactly what David is doing. It's exactly what David's doing. He is looking to the Lord, casting all of his cares upon him, knowing that the Lord cares for him and loves him. So an application for this first point is this, let our hope from God, be broad and be deep. Broad and deep. 
See, our hope in God is, is not a guarantee that everything is going to be smooth for us. It's not. That's not how we're supposed to read this passage. This story is, is not, well, just hope, God, hope in God and he'll make everything perfect in your life. That is a lie and that is airbrushed Christianity. It just is. It, it wasn't true for David. His life wasn't purpose. It wasn't perfect. perfect. It wasn't. It wasn't for, for Jesus either. The sinless son of God, he dealt with brokenness and pain and loss in this world. And so who are we to try to airbrush Christianity and say, well, just believe in Jesus and everything is going to go perfect and you'll never spend time in a cave and you'll never have laments and you'll never have hard times. That's a lie. It's not true. So let's not believe this lie that all oh, this hope is going to make my life perfect. No. No, that's not what it's saying here. Our hope does not rest in the ease of our life. But that in our hardship, God is our refuge until the storm passes by. We have confidence not in this, that we will be happy all of our days in this broken world. That's not our hope. Our hope is this, that all of our days are filled with hope in this broken world. We will not be happy all of our days in this broken world, but we will have hope all of our days in this broken world. We don't have to love the darkness that we're in. We don't have to love the, the brokenness that we rub up against. But we can love the king who will lead us through it, right? We can. And David looks at the Lord God Almighty. He says, under your wings I will take refuge. You are my refuge. And David's time in the cave doesn't just point us to hope, but it also points to there is purpose in the pain. That's the second point. In the midst of our pain, there is a purpose. Look at Psalm 57 again, the last part of verse 2. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. Fulfills his purpose for me. David is, is looking at his pain in his life and he says there's a purpose. And he's going to highlight the purpose in two ways for his life in Psalm 57. He says, God sanctifies me and God sends me. Now this word sanctifies, it's a very churchy word. But it's a word that we use to describe where, where God makes us more like him. Where God shapes us to look more like Christ through our attitudes and our thoughts and our hearts. And David is going to sit here in this cave for 10 years. Let that sink in. Ten years he's going to sink in here as God shapes his heart and his life to prepare him for the throne. Ten years. This is not an easy one day pain or one week and David's out of it. He is stuck here for ten years. And I have to say as a pastor, I have to interpret a lot of difficult passages to preach on. But by far some of the most challenging passages of the Bible for me to interpret it are these blank spaces. These blank spaces. Times of apparent inactivity where you read and you're like, God, where'd you go? Is he, is he here? It looks like you were here and now you're just ghosting David? You made this promise to him and then for 10 years you're going to leave him out in the wilderness? Have you forgotten us? God, have you become more distracted with other things that maybe are more important? Have you ever been there? 
You there now? These blank spaces sometimes can be the most frustrating times in our lives. But here's what I've learned. It's in moments like these that God, when he seems to be doing nothing, may be doing some of his best work. I believe more than the fight with Goliath, that this time in the cave would be the defining moment of David's life. The defining moment. What looks like the end for David is actually just the beginning. See, when God leads us into these wilderness moments, he doesn't do it to destroy us, but to redirect us, to help us to focus back on him. In this cave, he is forging a king. Back in 1 Samuel 22, it talks about these 400 men who come to meet David. People who are full of distress and bitter of soul and full of debt. All these broken people are coming to David, a broken person. And you've got to think, what is David, what's going through David's mind with this? Like, great God, I was broken and I'm going through hard times and you're going to send me all of these people? What in the world are you doing, God? And what we'll find is that some of these people that are there with David will later be with him when he becomes king. They'll actually be military leaders in his army and advisors in his cabinet. David didn't know that. He had no idea that this, this time of suffering would, would cultivate such great fruit in his life. In the New Testament, in the book of James, the half-brother of Christ, he, he comes really clear with us and tells us to take joy when we meet trials of various kinds, all sorts of trials in our life. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In this pain, God is working his sanctifying work in the heart and in the life of David. He's not given up on David. He's not forgot his promises. The pain has a purpose. And that purpose doesn't end with David. It doesn't end with David. If I'm going to be honest with us today, let's say in this church and those that are watching online, when we're hit with pain in our lives, we seem to become extremely introverted and focus solely on ourselves. Our, our pain paralyzes us. And so we can't imagine, we can't fathom doing anything for God because we have so much pain in our lives. We hear, hey, go and serve at City Serve, and you're like, I can't serve because I've got so much hardship in my life. There's no way I can serve somebody else. You hear, go on a mission trip to share the gospel with people who have never heard of the gospel, never heard of Jesus Christ and his love and forgiveness, and you're like, I can't do that. I, I've lost my job. I've lost my spouse. I, I, I've lost my house. I've lost my friend. We have all these reasons, and our pain paralyzes us. But what I find fascinating is David has lost all of that and more, and he turns and he praises God. And he says, but God, you are so merciful, you are so kind, you are so mighty, other people have to know. He doesn't stick here in a cave and just have mourning and, and weeping all the time. No, he progresses forward. He does weep, and we should weep before the Lord and bring our concerns before the Lord. But David does not remain there. He says, you're a good God. You're a God of refuge. And then he starts praising God. In verse 5, he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. 
And he, he feels what you and I feel. He's not moving forward faking it. This is not faking. This is faith of David. God, I want the world to know you and to worship you and praise you. You're sending me to proclaim this. But my heart's not there. My soul isn't there. So in verse 8, he says, awake. Wake up. Awake my glory, which is his soul, that deepest part. Wake up. It's not all about me. It's about God's glory, and he has a purpose through this pain. And then he says, wake up, oh harp and lyre. Wake up, let's sing to the Lord, and let's praise the Lord, because he's worthy of it. Yeah, but you got all this pain in your life, David. Shouldn't you, like, pause on this worshiping of God until you're through this pain? David's like, no. I know that the worship of God is what's going to take me through the pain. And then he even says, wake me up early in the morning. Wake up before the dawn that I would glorify God and worship and praise him. And this is what David is lifting up and praising to the Lord. And then I love verse 9. He says, I will sing your praise among the nations. Your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. In other words, David's praise is supposed to go as long as God's steadfast love goes high. David's like, I can't get to the clouds and I can't get to the heavens because that's how great and how high your steadfast love is. And so I'll try to go as long as your love is high. I'll take it to the nations. I'll take it to the ends of the earth so that people know of this kind of God who loves them and cherishes them. That's what I'll do. Now, what's beautiful about all this is as David is in the cave, and he's going through his suffering, and he's going through his pain, and he's writing in his journal these things that we just read. He has no idea how God is going to fulfill that prayer. He has no idea. You see, God says today, yeah, I'm going to get you out of this cave. And yeah, I'm going to keep my promise and put you back on the throne. I'm going to do all of that stuff for sure. But what you don't see coming in the midst of your pain right now is that you're going to have a kid who's going to have a kid who's going to have a kid who's going to have a kid all the way down to where you're going to have the Messiah come from your line. Where Jesus Christ is going to be the son, the true son of David. And he is going to be the one who fulfills this prayer that you're praying that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. And it's because of what Jesus has done on the cross. See, Jesus is going to enter into the harsh despair, and the hardship, but he's going to do it with hope. He's going to bear the cross and endure the cross because he knows there's a purpose in the pain that people will be saved through this. The salvation that Jesus purchased and has given to us is through his pain, and now it will be praise upon our lips and the lips of all nations. See, what we're going to find is in the book of Romans, Romans 15, Paul is going to write these words and actually point back to Psalm 57, as well as several other psalms. And he's going to say, these prayers of pain, God has made them a prophecy that is fulfilled in Jesus. And so in Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, it says this, Paul writing, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That's anybody that's outside of the Jewish nation. Why did he do this? To show God's truthfulness. And in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs like Abraham, that he would be a blessing to all the nations. And in order that the Gentiles, literally the nations, might 
glorify God for his mercy. And then Paul quotes Psalm 57. And he says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles or the nations, and I will sing to your name. Why? Why all this? Verse 13 of Romans 15 says this. May the God of hope, God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you believe. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. All of this is to breed hope in our hearts when we are in the midst of despair. As God is sanctifying us, he's also sending us. He's sending us out to declare the merciful love of God that all the nations would sing, whether it's in good times or bad times. They would sing praises to a worthy God. The one who is to be exalted above the heavens and his glory to be over all the earth. Church, this is our call. This is what God is doing in our lives and leading us to do. In the pit of pain, let us proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ until he comes again. Pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you care about every season of our lives. You don't just care for the, the ups. Um, you don't just draw near during the downs. Lord, you are the God of every season. And so, God, thank you for passages like this that remind us that we do live in a broken world. But at the same time, remind us that our only hope is you. And in the middle of our hardship, God, you're there. You even promised that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That no height or no death or no depth, no, no pain, no death can separate us from the love of God. Thank you for that promise, Lord. Thank you. May we be encouraged by that. And Lord, when we can't see what you're doing in the middle of our pain, may we be people that take steps of faith like David to praise you, to speak to our, our soul, to say, wake up. Wake up and let's praise the one who is worthy of praise, even if our hearts don't feel like it. We're not faking it. We're moving forward in, in, in faithfulness and in a prayerful heart. God, help us to even do that now. To the one who is heavy laden, God, would you give them rest this morning as they worship and praise you. Or as they take that first step of faith to trust in you as the Lord of their life. Would you do that now? To the glory of your name, Lord. Amen. Church family, let's stand and let's sing to the one worthy of all glory.